power on. It's TIE Fighter Renegades, a Star Wars podcast. Ooh, the man of tomorrow is here for little TIE Fighter Renegades. We are back, baby. And when I say we, I mean me. And of course, my brother, Robin Freebeard. Man, welcome back to TIE Fighter Renegades. Beep, bop, boop. Oh, oh, no. <laughs> Woo. Are we even, I, I mean, I support your statement. <laughs> Let me make that abundantly clear. And wow. Hey, Go listen, ahead. listen, folks. I mean, like to, to everybody out there, Z's, theirs, they's, thems, and everything in between. I'm with you. Just yep. as long as you're not bullying other people. Yeah, yeah. It's like, you know, I, I don't care what stripe anybody is, uh, as long as they're not an authoritarian or a bully, uh, you know, I mean, and I repeat myself. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Rob says to me, and I can edit this if you want, he says to me before we hit record, he's like, he says, Brian, we're going to open it up with something provocative. I'm like, what is it? And he's like, oh, you'll, you'll, you'll know when you hear it. And, <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> <laughs> wow do, do you want to do we want to talk about that for a minute or not I mean, we could, yeah i mean i i totally don't mind uh, all right well what the hell let's let, let's do it um <laughs> so because i mean we were going to open up talking about star wars we've got some dune to get into and we are going to get into that absolutely but really the rest of what we've got is is largely star wars here so i guess we'll just open it up talking about well, you know, actually, we should be reviewing this. I didn't put it in the show notes, but this is, I guess, a good segue into that because we got a season two trailer yeah. for uh, for The Mandalorian, which drops, is it the 30th of October? Mm-hmm. I believe that that's, that's the date for it. Well, I mean, that just hit a couple days ago, but just briefly before a day or so, or maybe even hours before that dropped, um, one of the show's stars, and I would argue really it's Shining Light, uh, in a very real way, uh, uh, Gina Carano, she got into a bit of a, a, a Twitter feud, or should I say Twitter came after her? I don't really think it was the other way around yeah. in any way. No, she um, was not looking for trouble. No. So there were, there was some, um, confusion and concern, uh, that people thought she was like mocking the use of pronouns within Twitter handles because she asked that, you know, what is it with everybody doing this? And, and then, you know, the Twitter mob, which is an absolute, very real thing just came after her. Um, I mean, I'll say this, like, I I mean, and I've been a fan of Gina Carano, like back when she was on, uh, with with my uh, my man Mike O'Hearn back when she was on American Gladiators, um, I was a, I mean I I just thought she was fantastic there because she just was she looked so legit. Um, and when her acting career started, I was like, yeah, let, you know, go go for it. Um, and I think in a in an industry where there are very few kind genuine people, I think she's one of them. Absolutely. Um, you know, and, and, and people have given her a lot of flack for, uh, maybe they don't think she's as great an actor or whatever else, but then ironically, and I, and I think she's a fine actress. Okay. But ironically, I think it's that like, that's it folks. She can't lie. She can't, you know, if you feel like she can't act, then that's kind of proving the point. She's a genuine person. She genuinely cares. You know what I mean? And, and, and so I, I, it just shows how, how, horrible things are on Twitter and online in general, you know, when someone like that gets attacked. What are your, what are your thoughts, Rob? 
I, I mean, I, I agree with you completely. And, and I think it's a, a shame that she, you know, unwittingly just basically stepped in a big old pile of spooks. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and everybody thought she was making fun of them when she put beep bop boop in her, uh, you know, in her, in her Twitter handle or whatever. And I mean, I just, I don't agree. I, I think she was, you know, having fun with it and whatever else. Um, she's clearly a person. I mean, if you do follow her online, A, she's not a conservative. Um, and she's taken shit from, you know, from, it's not like uh, 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 the tech giants or anything are supportive of her necessarily. Because, you know, she posted a, a provocative pic on Instagram not long ago and, and was, it got taken down by Instagram. And it was a picture of her, you know, uh, well, topless. Um, so not a conservative folks. Like she's not, I don't think she's any kind of alt righty or anything along those lines. And, and you can just tell from her social media posts, she's, she's been going through some shit, you know, like yeah. she's, she's, and, and man, the last thing she needs is the Twitter mob on top of her. I, I just, I, I thought it was absolutely outrageous. Uh, yeah. so, well, I mean, I told Brian, that I, I just, I don't even understand what the motivation for people who are in the public eye these days to even be on Twitter. Yeah. Like, it, cause it just seems like a net negative. Right. No, yeah. I, unless, I compl- unless you're Chris Evans. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the guy who can do no wrong, right? It, Apparently. It yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's got like, you know, talking about another guy who doesn't have any pronouns in his profile and he's right. got basically all Twitter white night in them. And I don't have anything against the guy. But you sure. know, it's it's it, it it's a little hypocritical. Yeah, yeah, no, I I I agree. Um, I, I yeah, I don't know. I say, same here. I can't grasp why. Like, if you're you know doing because look, Gina's probably doing great or has to be doing great money with the Mandalorian alone. You know, to say nothing of anything else that she's that she's working on or whatever. You know, I get the argument from some people where they're like, well, I got to be on social media because I got to build up my presence. I got to build up my business. I got to do this, blah, 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 regardless of whether or not that's true. Like, look, when you've when you've got it and you've made it just like get out of the public eye as much as you can. You know, so I kind of wonder if like Disney or if contractually somehow they they have to be online to some degree. I don't know. Yeah, that might be the case. But I mean, like this whole argument that that you have to be on social media is just so fallacious to me because I mean, like. Well, I mean, like we had like arguably much more famous stars in the past, long mm-hmm. before social media existed, mm-hmm. and they got on just fine without it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, in I don't. Fact, it, I I would argue that people are less famous today because of social media. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we, boy. Th- it, that's a huge subject that we could get into. Um, I mean, the only person I think I've ever seen like actually use social media really well, and it's probably not helping their career, not not with Hollywood anyway. It might be helping with their, you know, uh, 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 appeasing or not appeasing, but how the fans view them. I mean, like John Boyega, that guy's a stick of dynamite on social yeah. media, man. I mean, <laughs> and he's dropping some truth too. I mean, he's yeah, like, yeah. wow, you know, uh, so, so, you know, he can kind of pull it off, but very few people can do it the way he does it. Uh, and if, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's just, it's a mess. Social media is a mess. And I really do hope that it ultimately ends up being a fad. Uh, you know, we'll look back on it in 20 years and say, 
wow, why were we bothering with that? You know, um, that's the only thing I can hope for. Yeah. I mean, oh, that here, here again, that's something we could, we, we could talk about for a really long time. Um, sadly, I don't see it going that way, but yeah, that would, that would be a nice world to live in. Yeah. Yeah. A world without social media. I mean, imagine that. Uh, well, Anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to speak for Rob, but I, I don't know that he'd disagree with me. But uh, TIE Fighter Renegade certainly stands with Gina Carano. Uh, I mean, I, I, again, I just think a genuine person and someone who has all the actual ability in the world, especially in an industry where most people are CGI'd and fake uh, in a million ways. I think she is real. She's got, you know, got yeah. physical, all, all the talent you could, you could want. To be honest with you, I mean, I, that got me interested her behavior outside of the show and her interactions with the fan community got me more excited about the fan, the, 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 the Mandalorian. Right. I mean, not that I needed to be any more excited because, you know, like this is already like, you know, there was already great talent behind the show, Mm -hmm. but it was like, you know, it was just, it was going from like 10 to 11. Yeah, I mean, and she's constantly resharing artwork that fans make. I mean, it's just, it's the sweetest thing. It's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Um, her interaction. I, I agree. In fact, I can't think of another person in Star Wars who's more interact. The only person I can think of it would be, uh, um, uh, oh, whoa. Wow, that's terrible that, that I'm blanking on her name. Uh, Ashley Eckstein? No, well, she's great. She's yeah. certainly great. But I was thinking um, Iden Versio there. Um, oh yeah. Um, oh, Garn right. car. I, 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 yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. That's terrible that I, anyway, <laughs> I love Iden Versio, the character. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But then again, she kind of like, you know, faded into the background after the game came out. So yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that might be smart for her because that game got a lot of backlash. Uh, yeah, yeah, and stuff that is well beyond her control as well. Right, right. Um, well, and they killed her character too. So I mean, there's really not much for her to do. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Which, well, we'll save that nugget for a conversation we'll get to in a minute. Um, but why don't we go ahead and get into uh, the Mandalorian season two? Get a little review of that trailer. Um, did you like what you see? What you saw, Rob? I mean, was yeah, was this yeah, uh, excitement? I mean- it wasn't exciting as exciting as the first season trailer, but yeah, it, yeah. Is, it was exciting. Yeah. I mean, when you saw like some of that X-wing action in that oh, trailer yeah. Yeah. W- was, was phenomenal. I was like, Oh yeah, that's star Wars. <laughs> that was, that, <laughs> yeah. that was really and, cool. And the, and the biker scouts. Yep. Like, yeah. That was uh, a nice like an touch. actual chase scene, you know? Yeah. Now you and I were talking, if you don't mind me bringing this up, you and I were talking a bit, actually, I think it was in the, in the sovereign tech telegram group, um, because this does the, the, the hint and theme of this trailer is that like, Oh, we're going to have to run into the Jedi, you know, or we're going to have to find the Jedi. And I think you took a bit of issue with the seemingly galactic amnesia yeah, uh, around the Jedi. Like, wait, shouldn't he have been alive, or shouldn't you know uh, uh, the Mandalorian have been alive while the Clone Wars are happening? Shouldn't well, he know he was, the Jedi or he, thing? Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, I mean, like we we see the scenes when he was a kid, and like his village or whatever it was was being attacked by mm-hmm. you know the the Trade Federation droids. Right. So, I mean, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. And, they, and I'm not just talking, I mean, like, I can accept to a certain degree the galactic amnesia because the Jedi couldn't have been everywhere in mm-hmm. the galaxy, even at their height. Mm-hmm. But even even then, like somebody who was like, you know, directly affected by the Clone Wars should know who the Jedi are. Yeah, I mean, you're right, because in, in the flashback scene from season one, the Mandalorian, I mean, he did see a super battle droid. Yeah. I, I, you know, I mean, that's exact, right out of the Clone Wars. It's exactly what he saw. Um, so, I mean, you raise, you raise a good point about that. Uh, I, I had kind of, I didn't bat back, but I had posited that... You know, of course, <laughs> pandemics are nothing new to anyone now. Um, but uh, I, lately, I've been studying quite a bit about pandemics that have occurred in the past, uh, mm-hmm. particularly like the Spanish flu in the early 20th century. And it is amazing that it 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 basically appears that people just just tried to get it completely out of their memory, like they just stopped. You know, yeah. no matter how many millions yeah. the Spanish flu killed, they just stopped talking about it and pretended that it never happened. And, you know, the Galactic Empire becoming thing or the Jedi getting wiped out. I mean, it, it, it I think a similar case could be made kind of like, you know, like we were saying, the Galactic Amnesia, where it's just like, OK, let's just pretend they never existed because it, that was such a traumatic event. Go ahead. And, and, and I don't disagree with, with what you're putting forth. Another good example would be like the, uh, the Irish potato famine. Right. Yes. Yeah. Great um, point. But the thing is, is like that, in my my opinion and from my observance, that process takes at least two generations. Mm, okay. Oh, for them to like really forget. And we're yeah, talking only yeah. 20, 30 years. Yeah, right? we're talking one generation. Yeah. We're, we're talking about a kid who, like I said, was directly affected by the Clone Wars. His parents were killed by, you know, the Trade Federation. Right. Yeah, I the, mean. Yeah, no, I hear you. I mean, I mean, like with, with the Spanish flu, it was pretty immediate, but I, I get your point. It's it because and, and like I had said to you, I've always felt that, OK, you know, for for people to forget about the Jedi between episode three and episode four, only like 19 years or 20 years like that is a stretch, you know, Um so I've never been totally comfortable with that either. Uh, but I don't know, may, you know, maybe the way that they execute it, maybe it'll work. Uh, yeah, you know, we'll maybe, maybe they'll explain it in a way that that somehow uh, makes sense. Maybe they're talking about the Jedi, you know, with two eyes at the end, kind of like we got in the old canon with um, what was it? Was it Dawn of the Jedi? Was that that the comic series and novels? Yes. Yeah. Right. Where you find out that Jedi was like not a species, but sort of uh, like it was the older version of the order, I guess. Right. Um, well, it was an order that had both, you know, there there. It, it was pre the split between the Sith and the Jedi. Right. And you had both dark side and light side users within the same, you know, religion. Yeah. Yeah. It was more of a gray order, but it was definitely the originator uh, or kind of the originator. We don't need to talk about that. But anyway, because <laughs> that, that book series frustrated the fuck out of me because they didn't really explain the origin. Basically, you just had like these stone ships flying around. Right. Uh, anyway, it was just dumb. Um, <laughs> but OK, so, yeah, the Mandalorian season two, uh, I'm excited. Uh, yeah, I, I grant you, I, I agree with you, Rob. It, it wasn't as um, uh, exciting as the season one trailer when that first dropped. But uh, I definitely liked what I saw. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of something that is a bit of a surprise that uh, I liked what I saw, 
and I and we'll see what you have to say on it, Rob. Um, we did get in the past month a couple of well, a trailer and then a what's being called a CG short. Uh, is in a little short film, about six minutes. But we got a couple of videos from uh, EA Star Wars on YouTube. They are linked in the show notes if you want to see them for yourselves, and I recommend that you do. Uh, we got a single-player trailer for uh, Star Wars Squadrons, which that's coming out, what, October 2nd? That's coming out in just a couple weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the single-player trailer, I had no, high, I did not have high expectations for this, but then I watched it. And I, I just said, oh, holy shit, this, look, this looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah. I'm on board. It looked, it basically looked like X-Wing or TIE Fighter or X-Wing Alliance. I mean, the gameplay looked just like that. And then we got some, uh, you know, some little cutscenes with uh, Wedge was in it, Wedge Antilles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, among other things, I thought it worked. I saw that single player trailer and, and I was like, well, I, you know, I don't know if I'm going to pick this up yet, but fuck that looked great. I mean, what did you think about the single player trailer, Rob? Um, yeah, it looks good. I, I, um, my expectations are still tempered to a degree sure. because I do know that like, um, this game, uh, especially for the price point it's coming in is going to be so much short on content. And as yet EA is saying that there's going to be no additions either free or paid for DLC afterwards. So it's going to be kind of a short experience. And that nah. would really be my only criticism, but it does look like a good game. So I'm still not going to pre-order it. I'm still holding to my plan where I'm going to uh, just sign up for Origin All Access for the month of October and mm-hmm. play the game that way. So I'm only spending 15 bucks. If I really like it, then I'll plop down my 40 bucks. If I don't, then, you know, I'll wait till it goes on sale. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wonder if this is going to end up being available on steam. I know EA has been porting a lot or yeah, not porting, it, it, but it, yeah, it's already on steam. Oh, okay. The, the, got it. The, the listing for it. Aha, okay. I probably saw that at the end of the trailer, but anyway, um, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty much exactly. I, I, that's pretty much how I feel about it. I mean, I loved what I saw. It definitely looked like classic space combat sim. Like we get in the nineties when, you know, that became the thing, uh, and I, again, very it, well, I don't want to say it was like super exciting. I think they spent too much time with that Leia narrative in it. Uh, but it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was a good trailer far better yeah. than I was expecting. Yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Now what did blow my mind and you shared this with me first and you said, no matter how good, how good or bad the game is, at least we've got this, uh, they yeah, released. This cool. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, they released a, a little movie mini film, uh, all computer generated. Uh, using whatever, and I wouldn't say it's the in-game engine, but you know, using the rendering engine for the game that they have. Uh, called, what was it called? Hunter? Was that was that the name of it? I think. Anyway, it is the it is a little CG preview movie for Star Wars Squadrons. Um, th- this was awesome. I mean, this um, this was so awesome. Go ahead. I, yeah, and here's like the, this is the thing where like I wasn't expecting anything from this at all. I was like, oh, okay, right. I've got a few minutes of spare time. I'll check this out. And yeah, it, it, this thing blew my socks off. Yeah. Uh, I mean, talk about, I, I know I keep using the word exciting, but boy, talk about exciting. This was exciting. Uh, it, it's called Hunted, not Hunter. And I mean, again, about about seven minutes, I think, total. Um, and what you're getting in is, is a, it's clearly after Return of the Jedi, which is, we know where the game is set anyway. Um 
and you're following a character. Is it Captain Grieg? Is that, was that his name? Something like that? Something like that. Yeah. Uh, he's a character that you also see in the, in the single player trailer. Yeah. Um, on the Imperial side. I think, and, I think he's the ahead. player character. If I'm, if I'm, um, well, he maybe talks, I'm mistaken. Yeah. In the single player trailer, he talks to you. Oh, the, okay. The, the player. So, okay. So I think he's, he might be your commanding officer, something yeah, along those lines. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what a cool guy. I mean, <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, t- give me, give me your thoughts on this. Give me your, give me your favorites, your breakdown. Oh man. I just like that. that. I don't even know where to start because the whole thing is just like really cool from start to finish. I mean, like, you know, um, back when they were uh, first announced Battlefront 2 mm-hmm. and they were talking about having a game, quote, for the first time, even though, you know, listeners of this show know better, you know, the first time we would be getting a game from the Imperial point of view. And we got like all really excited and hyped up and it turned out to be just a massive dud. Yeah. Because they, you know, they switched sides within the first couple of missions of the game. Whereas this trailer, like, like this, like if, if this is representative of what's in the game, then this is actually delivering on what battlefront two promised. Yeah. Do you, I got to ask, I mean, considering that, so in, cause in the single player trailer, it's centered around an Imperial mission. This movie is, you know, certainly an Imperial movie. If we can say that, um, do you think they're trying to make up for that? Do you think they're trying to appease fans who, who got their hopes quashed I, with uh, Battlefront cer- two? I certainly hope so. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, here here again you know we talked about this before and some of the, one of the writers involved was also a writer on uh Battlefront 2 mm-hmm. who had some not nice things to say about you know representing the imperial point of view so hopefully he's just writing the rebel side of the campaign and he has no involvement with the imperial side of things because Personally, I, I, I kind of lay a lot of what happened with Battlefront 2 on him because he doesn't want to, quote, want to, you know, uh, lionize, quote, space fascists. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, EA must be feeling differently because, I mean, this was uh, like the, the hunted CG short movie. I mean, was was basically a love letter to Imperial action. I mean, yeah. it, it really was. Um yeah, I, I thought this was brilliant. I mean, and the way that you know you're you're seeing some some starfighter, uh, shall I say, action that in style that I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, I mean, like going into the atmosphere of that planet uh, felt very much like. Admittedly, it was it was hitting some nostalgia notes for me because it was reminding me of like Rebel Assault Two, where you're flying a Tie Fighter around in a canyon and everything. Um, it, it, it was just the, the action was so well done. The battle scenes were so well done. Um, and it, I, I'm the, go like ahead. the trailer had just like really great tension, especially like when mm-hmm. he goes and he tries to save the, the, the pilot of that tie bomber. And yeah. how great was that? You know, like you, you see like, you know, an Imperial pilot, you know, everybody like has this impression of Imperial pilots just kind of being, you know, mindless drones and it's all about accomplished mission. And then you have this one squadron leader who actually cares about, you know, the other pilots in his squadron. 
So right. that was cool. You know, like here again, this was something that Battlefront 2 was promising because they were using that whole tagline of, quote, heroes on both sides. And we really didn't get that at all. But we're right. getting it in this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I, yeah, I just I also I loved when I mean, I kind of don't want to give the ending away. But when he just says, or, you know, someone says the the war is over yeah, and he the says, war is over imp. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then he says, not for me, you know, at the, at the end, right. that, oh, that was so cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, this was, this, this was really, uh, again, just really slick, a great little story, everything about it. I just loved. And, and they were, they were like, they paid attention. Like he doesn't take his helmet off until he's in atmosphere. Right. Right. And then he knows he doesn't need it and he just pops right. it off, you know? Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah. Uh, again, music was great. Every, I mean, I, I kind of wonder who put this together. I don't know if it was one of the writers or if it was just like the dev team. Well, and and from, from what I understand, John Knoll had some involvement in this. Oh, nice. well, point being somebody who loves Star Wars and really understands Star Wars was writing this. Yeah. <laughs> Whoever it was. Um because I, I was finding it funny just how much concentration there was on the Imperial side across these videos. And I was saying, I was like, you know, the writers, like you had mentioned earlier, Rob, the writers might hate, you know, the Empire, but uh, clearly the devs know where the real action is. And they're probably all fans of TIE Fighter anyway, uh, the game. So, yeah, it, it showed. And it, it does, I do feel cautiously optimistic about this yeah. game now because, I mean, these were two really, really solid videos. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. So uh, check those out. Links are in the show notes, folks. If uh, if you want to give them a watch, um, I already downloaded the uh, the the movie Hunted from Star Wars Squadrons because like that's just that's going into my Star Wars folder, man. You know, of like great canon to to have access to. Um, it was just so much fun. So all right, want to move on to some other stuff, Rob? Sure. Let's uh, let's do it. We. <sighs> So speaking of, well, maybe not so great canon, but canon all the same. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Brian's bane. Yes. Yes. Uh, my, my bane. Um, I, <laughs> in His the past, because <laughs> I still do it, folks. You know, Rob even asked you guys, <laughs> right? He even asked you, he's like, he says, so do you, the listeners, do you really want Brian to have to read every fucking Star Wars book that comes out? And well, I still do bottom line. Okay. Regardless of what anybody said, I still do it. And so I've got three. We don't have to spend a ton of time on these at all. We'll probably, the third one we'll talk about a bit because it was one that I was genuinely excited for and looking forward to. And it was the one time, one of the rare times where it's not the bane of my existence. And it's like, okay, I want to read this book. I am excited to read this book. And you could probably guess which one that is. Um, it's a book that was del uh, delayed throughout 2020, that being the new Thrawn book by Timothy Zahn. But we'll save that one. We'll save the best for last, shall we say. Uh, let's open it up with, 
Poe Dameron Freefall. Uh, this was a book. It came out in August, early August. It was a surprise. Like there was no big announcement that this was going to be coming out that I could recall. I just happened to catch it when I typed in Star Wars in the Audible app. And so, of course, you know, I used my Audible credit towards it, listened to it uh, by Alex Segura, who I don't know has written anything else within Star Wars. Uh, if he has, it hasn't been anything major. This is certainly on the more young adult or junior novel side of things. It all has to do about a very young Poe Dameron. Um, I had made the statement. It might've been in the last episode of TIE Fighter Renegades that we recorded, Rob. I had said that, well, you know, that whole theory going around that um, Disney is going to reboot the, or, or, you know, uh, eliminate, cancel the sequel trilogy this book would be one of the deciding factors on whether or not they planned on doing that. Like, are they going to hint at things within it where, okay, Poe Dameron might have a different future. Uh, nothing of the sort was in this book. This book was incredibly basic. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of interesting information at all within it. And it was just, I don't know. I mean, you, you got to experience Poe Dameron and, um, and his, you know, one time girlfriend, that, that you get to uh, basically experience somewhat in the rise of Skywalker, uh, Zoe Bliss, of course. And so you got to see sort of more of their relationship within this. And I guess it fleshed that out. But really, this this book did nothing. I mean, it was fine. It was the writing was OK, but it's another one of those cases where there's nothing really like especially Star Warsy about it at all. Um, so I wasn't terribly impressed by that. Rob, I know you didn't even bother with it, man. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I, I'm sorry, folks, but like I'm 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 still in the throes of like Star Wars burnout. So like I I honestly didn't read any of these and, and I do plan on reading one of them. But I just I, I'm I want to be in 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 the state of mind where I could really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, but even if you were in that state of mind, I don't think there's anything really to appreciate with. Yeah. All right. Here. Actually, there is one great thing about about the Poe Dameron book, and that is you get a lot of Babu Frick in it. And Babu, I, I think Babu Frick is is really cute myself. Uh, I like that was the only really great thing in Rise of Skywalker. Uh, so you get that. But that's not really worth an entire book. You know, like that's not enough to bother reading this entire book. But if you happen to love Babu Frick, maybe you'll want to read Poe Dameron Freefall. Anyway, I, I think Rob's rolling his eyes. So we're going to. Yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> nothing great in Rise of Skywalker. Sorry. Mm. Wow. Those are some harsh words, but we'll, we'll, mm. I'm sure we'll get into some of that when we get to one of our later <laughs> stories here. Um, anyway, the next book uh, is. A collection we knew was coming for a little while, and it's uh, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, Stories of Light and Dark. Uh, this is a collection of short stories that basically add color to Clone Wars episodes that already exist. The last story in the collection is an original story. All the other, it's, it's, so it's a short story collection. All the other short stories in it um, are just like expanding upon episodes that you have already seen. Now, when it gets into the character of Maul, some of these are a little bit interesting, but this is one of, this is just an incredibly pointless read overall, in my opinion. Mm. And the only original story in it 
is by is actually by I mean, and it wasn't bad. It also, though, wasn't worth the price of admission. It wasn't like really, really great. And I don't want to, you know, knock Dave Filoni's wife or anything because her writing was fine. And the story has to do with Mother Townsend. And that's nice. Uh, the last one it's called Bug is the title. and It's by uh, E. Ann Convery. I'm going to guess that's how I pronounce her last name. But that's actually Dave Filoni's wife. Um, and, and I mean, again, it was fine, but there's nothing really here where it's like, wow, oh, you know, man, I can't wait to pick that up off the shelf or anything like that. I mean, there's just no excitement whatsoever like that. And the sales numbers for both this book and the Poe Dameron book, I think reflect that a lot of people must feel like I feel where it's like, yeah, this wasn't something that, oh, gee, you know, I just, I have to have it. I have to have it. Um, did you any comment on this, on this collection, Rob? I know you didn't, you didn't. Well, read it, I mean, you're, you're touching on something that, that we're going to get to. That's what I'll say. And it, it, it's disappointing to hear that this is what your opinion was, because I, depending on what you, what you were going to say, I might've actually picked this one up, but as it stands right now, I'm not so sure. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it felt very forgettable, you yeah. know, um, even, well, even the last story, go ahead. That's not uncommon. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and to contrast this, um, the next book that we're going to talk about, which is Thrawn Ascendancy Chaos Rising, uh, which is like book one in a trilogy that Timothy Zahn has apparently been guaranteed. It was like the number 16 best-selling book, just best-selling book, you know, on, on whatever, you know, American list or, you know, whatever in other countries, I'm sure it was somewhat similar, but on, you know, us list, it was the number 16 best-selling book out of any kind of book, star Wars or otherwise. And I think that's an interesting story in and of itself that, you know, no other star Wars book really ever touches, you know, probably the top 100 of well, best-selling books. Go ahead. Didn't, didn't air to the empire, make it on the New York times oh, bestsellers. A correction. I mean, on the, I meant with the new Canon. Oh, um, okay. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. No, the, yeah. now in, in the old EU, there's plenty of books that ended up on the New York times bestseller list. Uh, they cracked the 100 on the regular. Uh, right. I mean that, that, that was not uncommon at all. Um, but with the new Canon, in fact, I challenge anybody listening to this, you know, go to a bookstore, go to Barnes and Noble or whatever, have your mask on, I guess, but you know, go to Barnes and Noble and, Look at the Star Wars books. I guarantee you none of them are listed as a New York Times bestseller, uh, which and then look at the old EU books and they're all going to almost or many of them are going to say that. Uh, so it's very it's very telling that the only book that can crack into a bestselling list for Star Wars is a Thrawn book. Uh, do you, any thoughts on that, Rob? Um, it's just, it's very indicative of the problem with the whole, the way that, that Disney traits the, uh, the, you know, extraneous material, including the books, especially the books. Um, this is why, like, I do want to, you know, read Th Thrawn Ascendancy. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, I'm a little trepidatious because to be bluntly honest with you, um, EU Thrawn is 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 miles better than Disney Thrawn. Um, yeah, they're they're certainly going more into depth into his character, but the the scope and the scale of the Thrawn trilogy is so much bigger than anything that Disney has done with their books. 
Yes. And while you can admire Thrawn's, you know, ability and intelligence in the Disney books, you, I can't but help feel that he's been neutered. He definitely does not feel as threatening as he did in 1991. Yeah. That, that, that's for sure. I agree with you on that. Um, and I don't like that feeling. Right. Now, it's interesting uh, that Timothy Zahn, in an interview, basically, he, he came out. I mean, now, Timothy Zahn has nothing to worry about. This is a guy who, I mean, he's, he's made it as an author, yeah. right? Yeah, the publishers uh, come to him. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He, you know, he, he can, he can write whatever he wants. Uh, he, he said in an interview and he can say whatever he wants, which is my point here, but he said in an interview, he said, if you're just a fan of the heir to the empire trilogy, you can enjoy this book because it can play as a prequel to that, you know, to the, to the, to the heir to the empire trilogy. So even if you don't like the new Canon, he's written it in such a way so that it, it fits with the Thrawn, of you know of the heir to the empire trilogy and i just found that fascinating that he even felt like it was worthwhile to say that yeah you know if if he didn't see shall we say trouble in paradise at lucasfilm books or you know delray whatever you know disney you know publishing this stuff i i can't imagine why he'd even even bother trying to appease anyone you know from that 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 was a fan of heir to the empire right uh, I was really, really shocked by that, that, that he was willing to make that statement. And it's a statement that can be true because this entire book, and again, it is part of a trilogy, which he also stated that he liked that he got to do a guaranteed trilogy because now he can like make his own characters and he can really like build stuff out. And he's sort of like he did with the original heir to the empire trilogy, right? Right. right. He doesn't have to confine everything to one book. Um, this 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 book takes place all in the unknown regions. You know, um, it does cross reference other Thrawn books in the new canon, which is fine. Um, in fact, I you know I guess spoiler alerts, but I don't think I'm giving anything away re here really. Uh, but you get to relive the scene where Anakin Skywalker is trying to pronounce Thrawn's name, which was hilarious the first time it happened um, in the books. And but it all takes place elsewhere. And there's some interesting nuggets of information within it that I, that I found to be really fascinating. Um, so do you like, feel that Thrawn's or I, but that Timothy Zahn's statement holds up? I mean, I recognize that this is just the first book in a trilogy yeah. and we don't know how it's all going to play out. But I mean, do you, do you like, do you feel that that was an honest statement or was there a little bit of marketing involved there? No, I, I think it was a very honest statement. Um, I, I, I feel like, you know, being a, a, a huge Thrawn fan, which I am, um, I think it does work. I, okay. I think it, I think it still, it still fits, uh, very well into that. Now, if you're somebody that hates the prequels, you know, and you don't like Anakin Skywalker as was presented by George Lucas. Okay. Maybe then it doesn't hold as true, but as long as you don't mind Matt Lanter's, you know, uh, uh, Anakin Skywalker and, and, and you like the, or you at least accept the prequels more so than the sequels, you know, than the sequel trilogy. Uh, yeah, I, I think it, it sits perfectly well and, and has some very, very interesting, uh, I mean, do, do you mind if I bring up a couple tidbits, Rob? I don't yeah, want to spoil yeah, go it ahead. for you. No, yeah, no, yeah. no, it's all, all right. right. Yeah. 
Yeah. So one thing is, is that the, the Chiss are very aware of the Sith and they have some kind of history with the Sith like long ago. Like they, oh, they know something about them. Yeah. Which I'm sure we're going to get some payoff on that in this trilogy uh, because it's, it's otherwise it's just a weird thing to bother mentioning. Um, the other thing is that, so we learned about was, I think it was in Thrawn allegiance. We learn about how the Chiss have to navigate the unknown regions using like a, not, not telepaths, but kind of a, a, a psionic uh, subspecies within the Chiss. Yeah, but they, they're force sensitive. Right, they're force sensitive. Yeah. Now, what's interesting is we never really get a name for what those are. Now we have a name for what they are. And granted, it would be in Chiss, but it translates as Skywalker. Oh, so wow. they're, yeah, they're called Skywalkers. And I'm sure okay. that Zahn has something in mind for that. Um, and when, when the scene happens where you relive in Allegiance, you know, the moment where uh, Thrawn is or Thrawn and Anakin Skywalker are talking and Anakin's trying to pronounce his name. He reckon Thrawn recognizes that Anakin's last name is Skywalker. And he does find it strange that he has a last name similar to, you know, this entire subspecies. Within. Yeah. Well, I, I seem to recall in, and even in the Padme book during that scene that he was a bit taken back when he met Skywalker and learned his name. Right. Right. Um, yeah. So, so there's something there. And, and I'm, I'm very intrigued to explore where, where that's really going to go. Um, so yeah, I, I thought this was a, a very good book. Um, it actually read a lot like, uh, Timothy Zahn's Conquerors trilogy, which not a whole lot of people have read, wasn't the best received, but I loved those books. Um, and I mean, you really get like, especially now the audiobook doesn't give you any of this, but when you get the actual novel, um, th there's like explanations and everything. It's like, it's like you were looking at the, the, you know, the appendix in Dune or something to explain all of these different aspects nice. of the Chiss ascendancy. Exactly. I agree with you. It, yeah. it's, it's awesome. I always uh, love have that kind of world building. Yeah. Right. Right. So you get a lot of that. And, and, and just civilization is really, really fascinating. So I, I loved it because I mean, there's, there's other than Anakin for a brief moment, there's really no humans in it. Um, you get to explore a whole other side of the star Wars universe. Literally. Uh, it, it worked for me. It, it really, really worked for me. And yeah, I can't wait for the next two books. Go ahead. That's all the endorsement that I need. And, and, yeah. and the fact that the la that last bit that you mentioned that's, you know, that little bit extra of world building mm -hmm. is always something that sh tells you the author cares and is invested in the universe he either created or is working in. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. Um, and, you know, if they're letting Timothy Zahn have some fun with some deep Star Wars history, uh, you can't go wrong there because he did great with Outbound Flight. You know, everything mm -hmm. he did in the old EU was fantastic, uh, you know, historical exposition of the Star Wars galaxy. So if he gets it's, to do more of that, I'm there. It's kind of apropos, too, because when he was writing the Thrawn trilogy, he kind of had it in appendices of his own that was in form in the form of the West end games, role-playing books. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. the fact that he's turned around and he's now writing that kind of material. That's really cool. Yep. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, it, and, and again, I mean, I only scratched the surface of some of the, the, um, 
revelations, I guess I'll say in the book, uh, but uh, very worthwhile, even if, and, and I do agree with Timothy Zahn's statement, even if you're just somebody who's like, okay, you know, I, I like the old EU. I'm not bothering with the new canon at all. Uh, this is a book that you can get into if you're just into the old EU. Um, I'll say this and Rob, you're probably going to love what I'm, what I'm going to say. I mean, I don't know, about a month ago, like I, I, I just started typing out I said, okay, here is my headcanon of Star Wars. <laughs> Very little Disney work to be found. In this. <laughs> I mean, it basically had like the heir to the empire trilogy is the real sequel trilogy. Uh, yeah. it, it had dark empire in it. The dark yeah. empire trilogy. It had crimson empire in it, which Kyrkanos is one of the rare characters I mean, like, like I, I almost put him up there with Thrawn as far as like really, really great characters. Um, and I also ended up putting in like, uh, you know, the Jedi Knight games, you know, putting in all of Kyle Katarn's yeah. work and everything. Well, those have books too. So I was, I was right. actually about to bring that up. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so like all, all of that, you know, and, and the original trilogy. And then I did toss in later on, like on this list and I hadn't added to it for like a month. I was like, yeah, Thrawn ascendancy that's in there, you know, because <laughs> it worked. It was, it was, it was really cool. Even with the Anakin Skywalker scene, it's still, I think it's still really, really worked. Um, so yeah, uh, I mean that, that's, that's how much I enjoyed this book is that I was willing to put it into my, my head cannon. I mean, there's other stuff in that list. I'm sure actually some listeners would probably really love to, to see that list, uh, like the hand of Thrawn duologies in there as well. Cause I thought that was a great idea that like there was an entire Thrawn empire getting built. Um, you know, all that kind of stuff was, was really awesome. Uh, I'm kind of, that's, that's the other thing I was curious about is whether or not he was going to actually, use any of the ideas from those books in this tr this new trilogy i would love it if i mean you know because we don't know thrawn's fate at the end of star wars rebels if if they're setting things up to where um yeah we get like a thrawn empire that ends up coming back that'd be fucking awesome you know yeah. kind of like in in the hand of thrawn yeah. duology from the old eu that'd be great well, I mean, some one of the rumors out there, and I really hope this is true, but uh, the rumor is that one of the next animated series they're working on is a series about uh, Ezra and Thrawn and, uh, and Ahsoka and Sabine. I, I could get behind that. And, and you know... I, just fanboying. I would love, so, you know, like, uh, what was it? Uh, legacies, right? Star Wars or star Wars legacy. The, the comic books that took place a hundred years in the future mm -hmm. after return mm -hmm. of the Jedi in that you had where Baron fell ended up starting his own empire. And like right. you had the Imperial Jedi Knights, right? Uh, all really, really cool stuff. I mean, boy, if we end up in a, in a future where Thrawn has effectively created his own empire, like the hand of Thrawn, um, and then Ezra's like the head of the Imperial Jedi Knights. I'm, I'd be fine with that. I'd be very intrigued. I don't think that's the way it's going to go, but I'd love it. Yeah, no, I don't think that's the way it's going to go either. But yeah, that's that's not a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, like like bring it into bring it together because you got it. In my but, opinion, go ahead. But 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 you know, like according to Catholic Kennedy, there's no source material for any of this stuff. So I mean, obviously, <laughs> that's never going to happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, I, I mean, but you know, this is the thing, like for, 
post Return of the Jedi Star Wars, we need a third faction to clean up the bullshit, you know, that got created with the sequel trilogy, in my opinion. Um, but I, I, yeah, I don't know if they're willing to to go that to go that route. Um, I think that's why the Mandalorian exists because it is a third faction, you know, where you don't have to deal with the fucking storyline mess that is the you know First Order slash Empire, and then, um, you know, the, the New Republic. But right. yeah, okay. I, I forgot to mention this earlier with Star Wars Squadrons. Um, we do get to see Ray Sloan in that. I thought that yes. was awesome. Yes, and Hera. Yeah, and Hera. Uh, I wouldn't mind, and this is what I was going to say earlier, and I just want to get it in. I wouldn't mind if we saw Iden Versio in Star Wars Squadrons as well. I think that'd be a nice touch. Um, but I don't, I don't know if that'll happen. So yeah, anyway. I don't know either. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, any she, other thoughts? She would be on. She would be on the other side by then, wouldn't she? Yeah. Well, that's what I was kind of wondering about. Yeah. I think you're right. I think she. So never mind. I don't need her in it. I don't want Rebel yeah. Versio. I want Imperial Versio. Right. <laughs> but. Uh, I mean, any other, any thoughts on the Thrawn book, Rob, anything you want to share on that? No, I mean, like the, I, 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 I kind of came out with just, I don't have anything critical to say of the, of the book, obviously, cause I haven't read it sure. uh, I just, here again. I just, I think it's just a shame that the, the situation with the, the entire situation with all the star Wars books right now is they're, they're very much on a leash and I don't yes. like it because that leash is way too tight. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. Um, and again, maybe that's why the Thrawn book worked because Timothy Zahn was in the unknown regions. He could write whatever he wanted, you right. know, and, and it didn't affect the grander scale. And so he could actually write a good book. I'd Who imagine knew? that's, that's why he wanted to do it because he says, right. you know, if I'm going to keep doing this. I need to take this into a territory where I have, you know, free reign to let my imagination go because yeah. who, who wants to like, Honestly, like one of the reasons why I think we keep on having these Star Wars authors that we've never heard of before is because, you know, who who wants to work under the the onerous conditions of the story group? Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean, in, like Claudia Gray is the only one that seems to get any real leeway, uh and it's a miracle that she does, yeah. you know. But well, yeah, it's otherwise probably because I, she's a known quantity at this point. She's proven herself. So, but yeah, anybody else coming into it, you know, it's like, you know, they're 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 pulling on they're probably pulling on that leash hard right from the start. You know, I imagine when when they you know submit their their treatment or their synopsis or anything, you know, and we know this is part of the process. It goes through the story group, and they're just like, not nah, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that, can't do that. Yeah, I mean, because it's amazing. I mean, James Lucino gave us Tarkin, which is part of the new canon. It was a great book. Um, but he that was probably just because, you know, he had like a contract for one more book with Del Rey or something that he right. had to get out. Right. Uh, and that and was I mean, early on in, in the new Disney book canon. So, like, you know, they were probably still establishing the rules of what you couldn't couldn't do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, in that book, in my opinion, like the best thing about that book is it explains why is Palpatine doing what he's doing. But ultimately, I feel like Rise of Skywalker has even contradicted that uh, yeah. because now well, that, that go ahead. dropped hints that they've still not picked up on, you know, yes. with like the Sith temple beneath the, the Jedi temple, you right. know. Yeah, <sighs> no, I, I agree. And which actually Trevorrow or Colin Trevorrow would have picked up on with right. the Rule of the Fates, yeah. right? Yes. God, uh, you know, yeah. great, 
great segue. Sorry, I'm like gritting my teeth here. I'm so <laughs> <laughs> I get so livid about this. And we're not, and I know Rob does too. And we're not the only ones. Uh, because you know what? Let, let's get into our next story here, Rob. Um, but you rate and real quick, you do raise a great point that probably they're getting these unheard of authors because they're the only ones willing to go for the paycheck without any like real creative payoff, you know, uh, because that that tight leash that Disney has on them. Um, but here, here's this was uh, Daisy Ridley was getting interviewed. I'm trying to remember what the name of the show was. Oh, it was on Jimmy Kimmel Live, um, who was being guest hosted at the time by Josh Gad. Uh, she was getting interviewed remotely. And so there wasn't a whole lot of editing or studio control, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and she basically came out. Uh, Josh Gad was, well, here, I'm going to read a little bit. I've got the story from the Hollywood Reporter. Here's the headline. Daisy Ridley reveals original Ray Kenobi plot in Star Wars. This is from September 9th. Uh, the actress says the story behind her character was chaotic amid the changing of directors. Quote, at the beginning, there was toying with an Obi-Wan connection. There were different versions. This is Daisy Ridley talking. Then it really went to it, uh, went to it was no one. And then it came to episode nine and JJ pitched me the film uh, that being JJ Abrams pitched me the film and was like, Oh yeah, Palpatine is granddaddy. Uh, then two weeks later he was like, Oh, we're not sure. Uh, so it kept changing. So then even as we were filming, I wasn't sure what the answer was going to be. End quote of Daisy Ridley. Okay. So it's coming right from the mouth of the, you know, the actress herself. Um, there's so much disturbing about this. You know, talk about like not, not finishing up, you know, loose threads, like from the Tarkin book or something along those lines that could have been finished in episode nine that were basically completely forgotten. Cause obviously JJ came in, but JJ didn't just come in to like try and clean up things. He was really changing it up as he went along. It's like, yeah, it's going to be Palpatine. Oh, maybe it's not. Yeah. During filming. Yeah. Cause there's no, there's no art of Palpatine in the art of rise of Skywalker book. Right, which we brought up in previous episodes when we were right, reviewing it. Right. Yes, and 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 not only like this, this highlights once again the the blatant lies of J.J. Abrams. We already knew that he was a liar because of other you know projects that he's worked on, mm-hmm. <clears throat> Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he said, I remember this quite clearly in an interview when they were discussing the the parentage of Ray that he already told us who Ray's parents were in the force awakens. Right. That's, that's what he said. Yeah. Yeah. And there, there, there's no, there's no connective tissue between anything in the force awakens and that reveal in rise of Skywalker. I mean, that's, it's just not true. You know what, what, what JJ said there. Um, also Kathleen Kennedy is a liar. Um, because she was explicitly asked, you know, was Palpatine in the works the whole time? And she came right out and said, oh, yeah, yeah, this is a long time. Yeah. In fact, she even made it sound like that was the plan since Force Awakens. Right. Now, I mean, if she's hinting at that, yeah, we always kind of like toyed with the idea of Palpatine coming back or something. That's a true statement that it, it had been toyed with, but not that this was the plan. That that absolutely is not an accurate statement well, at that, all by her. They don't even get credit for that because that idea has been toyed with since the 90s. <laughs> yes. And, and it became Dark Empire. Right. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> Go Tommy Veach, man. You did it great. <laughs> and and I still hope you got a paycheck from uh, from JJ for him stealing all of your ideas 20 years or 30 years later. Uh, but also, 
and I hate to do it, but like Daisy Ridley, how, how can you, you know, Daisy Ridley came out and I get it. I know it was marketing stuff. And she basically had to say this because she said, like, I don't think anybody, you know, she was talking about episode nine. This is before episode nine came out. And she said, I don't think anybody could have done this ending better. How can you say that? And then you're telling us that, wow, this story was getting completely made up as we went along. I, I mean, and, and you can watch the video link is in the show notes. You can watch the video of her talking to Josh Gad. She was clearly exasperated with production. How can she yeah. say that, that JJ yeah. did like the best job well, that anybody with that movie? Go ahead. To, to, to be fair to Disney, to, to um, um, uh, Daisy, oh God, Daisy yeah. Ridley. I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, like there were signs or, uh, you know, when before the, the the rise of Skywalker came out, like somebody like she was asked in interviews about the whole Raylo thing, and mm-hmm. she basically cringed and were like basically said that whole thing was problematic. Yeah. So like she did have issues with, you know, what was going on in that movie, you know, prior to this. Like we know we know that, but absolutely, I'm sure it was in her contract that she couldn't really say anything bad about the movie and had to hype it up. It was the same thing with John Boyoga. It was, it was months after the movie came out that, you know, he started dropping bombs on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. Same with like Oscar Isaac, I think has been uh, a bit um, on the attack as it were. Uh, But yeah, now some people have been saying, how did they let Daisy Ridley get away with this? Um, I mean, I think this is like a reveal, but it's not, it's just a more direct statement of what I, what we already knew because we know the very famous uh, statement that Daisy Ridley made about when Colin Trevorrow was telling her what her character's fate was and she cried, right? Like that's, that's what she had told us. It's abundantly, we know it's abundantly clear that the plan Trevorrow had is not what ended up in rise of Skywalker. So we basically already knew that there had been shifts and all this stuff. Perhaps what was just the most interesting here. Again, the first thing being that JJ was changing his mind during production, whether or not her dad was going to be or her granddad was going to be Palpatine. But the fact that, yes, the idea of her being a Kenobi was being toyed with or, you know, was being played around with. And at the time of The Force Awakens, um, there were supposed leaks that would get talked about on other Star Wars podcasts. We weren't doing TIE Fighter Renegades yet. Um, You know, that that she was a Kenobi. And now I guess, you know, a lot of people, it's just, it sucks because, and, and I was like that too, where I'm saying it's like, guys, don't speculate. Don't bother speculating. Don't do it. Your leakers are full of shit and blah, blah, blah. No, maybe the leakers were actually giving them accurate information. Yeah. She's a Kenobi at the time, but then they completely changed their minds because of Ryan Johnson and later on yeah. what JJ would do. Well, you know? I mean, I, I still think the, the, the large amount of quote star Wars leaks and, and, fan theories and speculation is, is total bullshit to this very yeah. day. Yes. Um, it, it's that whole thing about, you know, broken clock is right twice a day. Right. Yeah. Fair. Yeah. That's fair. And, and the other thing I take issue with this is the people who say that, like, how, how can she get away with saying this? When you think uh, for a goddamn second about what that implies, they don't fucking own her. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you know, there's a lot of people who would say they do. Uh, you know, in, in, uh, no, but, nobody, we all know that nobody owns anybody. You don't own human right, beings. Period. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, 
in any case, this, I mean, this was a, a bomb dropped, uh, without question. And, you know, I, I, I've, who's it a star Wars theory, the guy that made the Vader film, mm-hmm. um, this is a guy who has over 2 million subscribers on YouTube. I mean, he's about as big on YouTube as one can get, or he's in that league. Uh, he did a, a video, a reaction when he'd heard this news. I mean, and for him, he flipped out. I mean, for him, you know, he, I mean, he's a lot calmer than you or I perhaps would be. Uh, but he was, he came right out and said, he's like, you know, Disney, you're making fan fiction. (laughs) (laughs) This isn't in my, you know, the sequel trilogy is not in my head canon. And sort of what I was alluding to earlier, I mean, sure as fuck isn't in mine. And this just bolstered the fact that, well, I mean, what do you say, Rob? I've said it before. Fan fiction can get messy. <laughs> yeah. Put down the T. Fan fiction gets messy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. And his point was, and I thought it was very salient, is that how do you take over one of the, if not the biggest IP on the planet and not have a plan, you know, of what you're going to do with it. And it's abundantly clear there, there was, I mean, it's not like they didn't just have a plan as a trilogy. They didn't have a plan during the production of a single film. No, that's, that's not entirely true. Go for they, it. They, they bought George Lucas's written script mm. treatments for a sequel trilogy. Right. They had a plan, right? They threw it out. Personally, I think it was Bob Iger who personally threw it out. Personally, mm-hmm. I think he's had his hands dirty in the Star Wars trilogy mm-hmm. from start to finish. And yeah. I personally don't think that J.J. got to make the movies that he wanted to make. Now, whether or not the movies that he wanted to make would have been good or not, I don't know. But I pretty much get the the, the strong impression that he he was interfered with and the thing is is that he's he's kind of too nice of a guy and too much of a pushover yeah 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 i i i could i could believe your narrative i i i mean i re- i really could um you know the reality of where we sit right now and and actually i i think this could be a very nice segue into what i think is going to be our major topic for this episode but the reality is, is that you have to, to cover the budget of, you know, your, your blockbuster film today, you have to get so many asses in seats. You, you basically can't create a, you know, a great film or a groundbreaking film or a film that, uh, you know, is thoughtful or that will be talked about for generations. You need a film that gets talked about by everybody for five minutes to get their asses in the seat. And then that's the end of it. Right. But here's the thing is that you and I both know that there is a formula in Hollywood. Yes. And I firmly believe that was Bob Iger's philosophy all throughout this. And he basically had all these different ideas about letting the formula write the movie rather than letting the writers write the movie. Yeah. uh, It's and it's very much the Marvel formula, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, that's abundantly, I I think there's plenty of, of hints in the sequel trilogy that point at that, like the humor in last Jedi. I don't feel like that was even Ryan Johnson's humor. That's Marvel humor. Uh, 
yeah. uh, that, that got placed in there. And so, yeah, I agree. I think there, there is a formula there. I think a lot of the congratulations, I think you're right. And I, and I think a lot of the congratulations that Ryan Johnson got like from Kathleen Kennedy, because she kept before last Jedi kept out, came out, she kept saying, you know, on air, like he has made this incredible movie. Ryan Johnson is amazing. Blah, blah, blah. Is that somehow, you know, he got what for some could be seen as a challenging film, but fit it within the Marvel formula. Right. And that's why they loved him so much. The problem is, is that star Wars fans or a lot of them anyway, did not. Um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm picking up what you're putting down, Rob. I, I, I think you're hitting it. Uh, do do you, do you want to, you want to segue on to our, our next big topic? Or do you got more to say on this one? Go no, for it if you do. Yeah, no, I've I've pretty much made my peace with this. You know, like uh, I'm I'm I I I I do not I I feel very um, akin with um, um, Star Wars theory. I I it's the sequel trilogy is garbage. And now I'm I'm not in the in the group that is is for excising it for canon or rewriting it i still believe that we kind of just have to accept the bad parts of star wars and move on yeah 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 i'm i'm with you there um i think that you can make a body of material that heals from this yeah i i, I do think that's possible i think we're on track uh, both with Zon books, the Mandalorian, and maybe some other things coming down the road. Um, it's going to take a while, but I, I, I think it can ultimately happen. Yeah. Um, because I mean, there has been good stuff under, you know, Clone Wars season seven was good. Rebels yeah. was good. I mean, there's, there's stuff under Disney's tutelage that was very good. Uh, so yeah, we, we, we can get there. And I, I agree with you. I think like the moving on and just like, yeah, we're just not going to talk about the sequel trilogy. We'll just, you know, that's more of that. They're like the Jedi and the Mandalorian. It's like, yeah, there's this myth about them, but we forgot about it. <laughs> <laughs> and we did that inside of like two years. It's amazing. Anyway, <laughs> we sneezed and it's over. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so to the point of, you know, making movies that have to appease the popcorn goers, as it were. Uh, one guy that, that kind of seems able to get away with not doing that, but still gets big budget options is Denise Villeneuve. And I know you're not the biggest fan of Blade Runner 2049, Rob. And, and I think people have valid critiques of that movie. Um, I enjoyed it quite a bit, but you know, again, I, I, I get where people are coming from when they, when they don't dig it. Yeah. I don't hate it. I mm-hmm. just, I don't love it either. Yeah, right. It's not, it, it doesn't live up to Blade Runner, you know? No. Well, I mean, it just, it, it shouldn't exist. Ah, no, ooh, no, wow. no, se- no sequel to Blade Runner should exist. It's unnecessary. Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> I, I agree with that completely. Um, it is unnecessary. I mean, again, I enjoyed it, but I, I completely get where you're coming from. Um, so with that said, uh, Denise Villeneuve, who has been largely successful in Hollywood, including with what could be called challenging films, as in they make you think a little bit, uh, which is nice to get, you know, every once in a while and rare to get today, certainly with a budget. He has been handed the keys to Dune, which is coming out in what, just a couple months, right, Rob? This is November 2020. 
Well, I heard that there's a possibility it's going to be pushed back to like January 2021. Oh, motherfucker. Yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're, they're planning on pushing that and uh, Wonder Woman 1984 back. Yeah, I'd heard about Wonder Woman, but wow. Because um, apparently, okay. te- apparently Tenet's a bust. Yeah, I have heard that as well. I have heard that as well. Um, I mean, granted, that's a new IP, and that's always risky, even when you have Christopher Nolan involved, right? Right. Um, So that doesn't exactly surprise me. Ah, boy. Uh, Okay, well, anyway, when this does come out, (laughs) (laughs) uh, you know, all right, hold on, hold on, hold on. Mulan, right? Now, Mulan, the live-action one, that was supposed to come out in March of this year of 2020. Uh, am I correct in understanding? Cause I haven't paid for a Disney plus subscription, nor will I, uh, again, um, yay Torrance. <laughs> um, that got released on Disney plus. They finally said, okay, fine. We're going to put it out there. But not only did you have to pay for a Disney plus subscription, but you also had to pay 30 bucks on top. Do yes. I understand that correctly? Yes. Who is, I'd love to see the numbers on that. There's no way they're ever going to share it because I can't imagine that worked. No, we'll never see the numbers on that. I mean, that's, that's the whole point of, of these studios all having their own platforms is that they control it 100% and never have to reveal a goddamn thing. Yeah. Right. Um, I can't picture that this did well. Like there's no, I mean, I don't even want to bother with it. Be, and it, it's because of Mushu not being in it. But regardless, I wasn't going to bother with it anyway. Uh, but I, I can't believe that, that that strategy paid off at all. I mean, yeah. how well, can you do that to people? Yeah, Go ahead. It, it's, it's, being, it's being lambasted critically, too, yeah, for a yeah, number yeah. of reasons. Good. You know, like the, 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 the critics are not happy with it. The, uh, the, the Twitter mob is not happy about, you know, uh, uh, Disney basically... Uh, paying off the Chinese government to use, you know, parts of China that are there currently, you know, where the, the Weigars are being oppressed. Oh, yeah. Right. Right. The, the Chinese Muslims. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, there's all kinds of problems with this movie. Yeah. So I guess I'm just I, I bring that up to say that, like, I can't picture Dune having any kind of home like that. Like, that's just that's just not going to work the best thing you could do would be to like make a deal with HBO where they air it exclusively. Uh, in my opinion, if they, if they feel like it's just never going to come into theaters, but I imagine this is going to get a theatrical release. I don't, I forget what the budget was for this thing, but it's gotta be fucking massive. Yeah. I think uh, it, it's enormous. And then, and, and keep in mind too, we're only getting the first half. Right, 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 right. Which I'm okay with that. Uh, um, yeah. so, and, and I know we've talked about that previously, but, uh, but we finally got a trailer for this thing. And Rob, I'm, I'm going to let this open up with you, man. Um, I mean, we both know Dune, love Dune. You know, we're all about it. Uh, I, I do think like that, that you, you've got minutia down on me on this one a lot. Actually, you do that with a lot of things, which uh, uh, is no mean feat, folks. <laughs> I, I consider myself a walking encyclopedia. And, and Rob, I mean, I, I always know what Rob's talking about, but I, I got him and, and it goes vice versa, uh, which is a rare thing as well. But um, I got to admit, like there's times where, where Rob's got some, some nuggets on me and I go, oh, oh yeah, man. <laughs> So, yeah. So anyway, yeah. Now, now, now. Go ahead. To, to be perfectly upfront, I did say something on the Telegram group that I ended up being mistaken about. 
Um, I'm not going to really get into it, but, you know, I, I said that I already, you know, saw a, a major departure from the books, and I turned out to be mistaken about that. So I'll, I'll go ahead and just get that out there right to begin with. Not a big Imagine deal. Imagine that, folks. You're listening to a podcast where someone is willing to admit that they might have been wrong. Uh, yeah. Remarkable. So <laughs> go ahead. That, that aside, um, it, what I'm seeing in this trailer, um, it does seem like it has the potential to be a very faithful adaption. Um, unfortunately, I'm just I'm I'm not impressed. Right. I I'm I'm not impressed by the the acting. I'm not impressed by the cast, and I actually I think I actually despise the aesthetics of this movie. Whoa! Wow! Yeah, uh, there's 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 a heavy, 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 brutalist bent going on that yes. I don't like. So, for for those that don't know, brutalist is an architectural style that uh, well ma- was basically made famous by the Nazis. Uh, <laughs> so, and anyway. and I and, and and my problems with 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 brutalist architecture and 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 you know that kind of styling is not because of the political associations. I don't right. give a shit. I just think it's fucking ugly. Yeah, it's, and it would or go ahead. Yeah. And 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 the thing is say what you will about David Lynch's version of Dune, but to me when you're showing off like you know a a you know royalist imperialist you know feudal society that's you know highly advanced technology like I picture what they showed in David Lynch's Dune of this extravagant opulence. Yes. You know, I didn't even think about that when I watched the trailer, but, you know, just just thinking about it now, as you say it, you're you're totally right. And the even the original Dune canon, you don't have to bring in anything from Brian Herbert. We shouldn't even say his name. Uh, it, it it It's apparent that these like the houses of the Landsrod have very they're very artsy fartsy, to put yeah. it simply. Yeah. Um, everything is extravagant and opulence, like you said, and and for it to be brutalist, even on Arakeen. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure the book Dune describes heavily about that, how you well, like the two major cities. That's, and that's go the ahead. fascinating thing, too, because there was a brutalist element in the 84 Dune, but mm-hmm. it was with the Fremen. Right. And now it's like they've reversed it. Yeah. Uh-huh, and uh-huh. I'm. And and while I like like the depiction of the Fremen sieges in the 84 Dune, I, I do feel like that. I wouldn't call it a letdown, but it could have been better. I kind of like, there's a lot of fan art out there where they're showing like, you know, the Fremen kind of living in these very sort of organic rock shaped, you know, sieges that are Mm -hmm. very beautiful. And, you know, you, you kind of like feel like you're stepping into the, out of this barren desert into another world. And that's the way I always pictured it in my head. So I didn't like the depiction of the Fremen in the 84 Dune, and we haven't seen what it's going to be like in uh, uh, Denis Villeneuve's. I, I hope he has something cool, but yeah, as far as you know, what they're showing off of the Imperium in, in, in Villeneuve's Dune, I, I, I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Now, I mean, a, a brutalist architectural style would make sense for, you know, Geedy Prime, would make sense for the Harkonnens, right? I mean, you, right. You, yeah. Right. So I don't know if they're going to like try and play it in that way, but you know, it's important. I want, I want people to understand that part of the reason Dune is so enduring as a book anyway, 
is that when you read it, it is so fully realized and it's so well described by Frank Herbert um, that yes, it absolutely matters whenever you bring it to another medium. What yeah. does it look like? Well, because anyway, go ahead. I will push back on a little bit because like, uh, like Frank Herbert doesn't really go and get like really descriptive about the way things look a lot of times. But mm. the thing is, is, is that the tone he sets in the yeah. book and his style of writing is very evocative for the imagination. Yeah. There's and an attitude. Mind, yeah. There's an attitude and your mind fills on in the blanks all on its own. Yep. Yep. I would. All right. Yeah. I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. So, all right. So we got the brutalist architecture. Uh, I mean, get, give me, give me something more here. That's bothering you with this, with the trailer. Um, I'm not in love with the sandworm. No. Oh, you brought up one of the things I want to bring up, but go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, like, and, and, and I understand why they're trying to do something different. And, you know, Villeneuve has been in interviews talking about how they spent a lot of time on the sandworm and trying to make it something unique, like we never seen before. And Mm -hmm. I get the reasoning. I just don't agree with it. You know, Frank Herbert said it plainly enough that the only person who is, uh, uh, ever visited dune was john schoener the artist for the the dune cover arts and he is the one who came up with that design of the the sandworm with the the trifoil mouth right that you see in the 84 lynch right yeah Yeah. um i was a little bothered not to get conspiratorial I was a little bothered that at the end, I mean, that's basically at the end of this trailer is when you get the reveal of the sandworm. Um, my biggest problem with it is that when it opens its mouth, it looks like an eye and it's meant to look like a one eye on purpose. Um, yeah. I, I think that's abundantly clear. And uh, that's an artistic, but I think also a cultish decision that I, that I don't appreciate, but what am I going to do about that? And am I going to yeah. go any, go ahead. I mean, I don't know if he's doing that consciously. There's there's some other things in here where it, it it is kind of apparent that he is being somewhat inspired by David Lynch in some areas, like yeah. with the Baron coming yep. out of that mud bath or that spice bath or whether it is. I mean, that's pure Lynch. Yes. Yeah. 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 So I... Anyway, yeah, the sandworm, I wasn't impressed either. I'll, I'll, I'll go with you on that. Um, I mean, I'll say overall watching it, I have one major problem with it. But overall watching it, uh, I, I more or less liked what I saw. I was like, yeah, th- yeah, this is okay. Like, at the very least, it wasn't, I wasn't seeing anything really where I was like, oh, no, no, no. I don't want to touch this film. I'm not interested, blah, blah, blah. Um, the, I was impressed by the style of the trailer. In that there was no joke at the end. That was very comforting to me because I, I'm so tired. I, like, it's just something you wait for, for with the trailer, they'll, they'll, they'll do this epic trailer. They'll give you the title of the film. And then, you know, what's coming at the very end is there's going to be some kind of a joke. Yeah. And they're, and they're always stupid. And, or it's, it might've been funny in the movie if you didn't play it over and over again in the, you know, with the fucking trailer. Um, but they didn't do that at all in this. And I was very, very pleased by that. Uh, so I like that they didn't have a Marvel-esque trailer. That was good. Um, my only major problem with it was I don't like the look of Paul Atreides. And I don't know why I didn't. it didn't come together for me in the stills. 
you know, and like in the, 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 the promo stills that we got. Uh, but I, I just, I really, really don't like the look of Paul Atreides. He looks too young, um, too disheveled. Like he just doesn't look like royalty to yeah, me in any way. Yeah. Go ahead. He, what do you got? He, I mean, he kind of looks like a mopey YouTuber. <laughs> yeah. It's like, they, they just, they're like, who can we find that you looks know, like Robert Pence in 20 or, years ago? Or who, who can we find that? And, and God, I, 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 I never want to mention this fucking name again, but he looks like David Dobrik. Oh, ouch. All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, I, I, yeah, I, I don't get this. Uh, I, I get it that maybe they think that this is like that, that dark hero look that, yeah. uh, that everybody I mean, goes per- gaga over. Go ahead. Personally, I don't have a problem with the age because in, he was even 15, in the books, right? Yeah. Well, he was 15 yeah. and not only that, I, I, I think even, you know, um, uh, Reverend Moham kind of said that he looked young, even for his age. That's a good point. No, you're right. See, these are the nuggets, folks. This is where Rob Lake comes out to me and says, Brian, sit down. We're going to school. And but no. <laughs> yeah, but, but he, does, he does have that, you know, that very modern, what teenagers look like today mm-hmm. look. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just it, it it didn't work for me, and it's not. I don't think it's because I've been spoiled on Kyle McLaughlin necessarily. It, it's just I don't because what what was his name uh, in the in Frank Herbert's Dune in the the two thousand miniseries? I forget the guy's name, but he was fine. I I didn't mind his. Oh, Alec Newman. Alec Newman, that's it, right? Uh, you know, I didn't I didn't mind his look. I thought it worked. Yeah, he was. You know, I think he here again. I think he was too old, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that th- that that part like kind of bothered me, but then I'm also not going to let someone's look, you know, spoil the film for me just because it right. wasn't what I, right. you know, had in my mind's right. eye. Well, I mean, that's and that's the thing is, is like you know, uh, <laughs> we're not the it demographic anymore. This movie well, isn't for, sure. for us, you know. Yeah. So, um, hey, you know, like I, I. I'm even being told on Twitter is like, Oh no, like, you know, this is getting my kids into to Dune and I tried so hard and nothing I could say could get my kids to ever read Dune. And now it's happening and I'm so happy. Okay. Good for you. Whatever. <laughs> the, uh, uh, do you think, do you think that, that, so who's Warner brothers is putting this out, right? Yes. Okay. Um, which by the way, one only need look at Warner brothers treatment of Babylon five to see that they really don't give a shit about science fiction, but regardless, um, do you think, do you think Danica is on the take with, with Warner brothers? Do you, do you think comic, comic oh, book girl 19? Oh, yeah. I've thought that since the very first time she started doing that Dune book club because she's putting out merch, right? She's basically crowdfunding it with, with Dune merch. There's no way in hell that didn't get a, a rubber stamp from the almighty, you know, Bobo the Clown. <laughs> the aforementioned Brian Herbert. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, because she's that Doom Book Club. So what did she start that? Like two, three years ago, four years yeah. ago, something like that. Yeah. Before yeah. production, I think, you know, before they broke shovel. Right. Um, and yeah, I think that was a very, very careful plant. Um, of a marketing campaign, mm-hmm. and 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 the from the very moment she started it, I because she's just look, 
Rob and I are nuts about Dune. Yeah, and we're about as nuts as you can get about Dune. And Rob even more so. She's she's above and beyond. Like 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 she's like beyond kind of nuts about this. And, and she's kind of cultish the, about it. Yes. Yeah. To the point that it, no, it's no. Look, it's fucking creepy. Okay. Yeah. You know, like yeah. like how you're acting about this. And uh, uh, man, uh, okay. I'm I'm glad. I, thank you. I, <laughs> I yeah, thought of it. I, mean, I wanted to ask it. Go ahead. Yeah, no, no. There's just there's just no way because I mean the 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 way that that you know Bobo handles the IP. I mean his asshole's tighter than a snare drum. <laughs> and, well, and and you know and actually to 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 add to add proof, we know he's looking at younger demographics and he's wanted younger demographics. That is a major major push for him, right? Because of no, comic he books. Just, he just and, wants fucking money. Yeah, well, well, I mean, absolutely. If, if, if it's not under his control, he doesn't care. Because yeah, there, there are people who, who've tried to do comic books before, and he's slapped down the the almighty C and D. Yeah, yeah, uh, and and also, I feel like he has taken Dune in a direction that is ultimately anti-intellectual, or at the very least, nowhere near as intellectual as his daddy. That's my whole, that's my whole problem with his books, right? They shouldn't exist. Yeah. And the, and the fact that there's more Dune books with his name on it now than his father's, that's a problem. That's a slap to the face. Yeah. I I agree with you. I I, I agree with you completely. If you're not going to, if you're not going to spend the, uh, you know, this kind of almost gets on something that Brian and I were talking about before the show started, but you know, like. There, there's, there's, there's no more heroes anymore. Yeah. There's nobody to look up to. And everybody has basically taken the, the greatness and the wisdom of the past and just tried to put their own stamp on it. Yeah. I mean, once the creator's gone, you know, and for example, George Lucas, Frank Herbert, uh, Gene Roddenberry, you know, once the creator's gone, um, everybody's writing fan fiction, yeah. in my opinion. And, you know, the creator doesn't have to be dead either. George Lucas just stepped away, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, that's that's really the point I, I, that I've, I've come to. And, you know, it's got me thinking, like, I'm scared to death of what the fuck Apple did with Isaac Asimov's work. Um, yeah. You got any thoughts on that trailer, Rob? I, I don't want to get off necessarily off the Dune tra- train um, here, but no, I'm I'm reserving judgment. Yeah, maybe maybe they did it right. Yeah, I <laughs> I don't I I don't trust Apple. Oh no, yeah, I mean I don't no, either. Not no. not for anything. Um, even if Steve Jobs were alive, I wouldn't trust Apple. Uh, but <laughs> maybe especially more so. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well said. Ooh, anyway, <laughs> the dead are not spared on this show, folks. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, oh man. Yeah. It, it. It. So. Well. Anyway. But I mean. But there's the point. Is that really once the creator's gone, everything's fan fiction. Yeah. And. But I mean, uh, like, I and I don't. I don't have a problem with fan fiction. Fan fiction can sure. be awesome. But the thing is, is Dune is something else. Like, 
and the the apologetics I always get are well, like, oh, well, you can't expect him to have the same writing style as his father. No, I don't. But I at least expect you to have the intelligence and the wisdom, or at least attempt at having the kind of intelligence and wisdom that was put into those books. And there's no sign of it. It's just a bunch of fucking schlock. It's yeah. pulp fiction. Woo. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, I agree. And again, like, I mean, you, you know, you read not even Chapter House. Um, like you read God Emperor. Uh, you read Heretics. And I mean, you're, you're pushing the human possibilities of understanding to their limits in a very real way in fiction. Yes. In fact, not only that, that's like, if you understand that you get the point of the books, right? And let's be clear here. That's not going to sell books very well. It sure as hell is going to sell them. If your name isn't the guy that wrote the first one that blew everybody's mind. And, but, but yeah, but I mean, to do anything less than keep pushing the boundaries of the human intellect, uh, is an insult. I don't think it's a surprise that that's why they started off with prequels, uh, you know, with, with the house books. Um, but yeah, I agree. It, it, Dune is yeah. something else. It is something fact, special. Go in ahead. Fact, I, I, I remember the, I, when I read house Atreides, the first book in that house book, the very moment when I was like, Oh no, no, <laughs> no, they, they literally stole a moment from star Trek six, the undiscovered country where the cloak ship fires on another ship and makes it look like the Atreides ship was the one that was sh- doing the shooting. Right. Yeah. I remember. I that. mean, you can't even have your own goddamn ideas <laughs> when you should have plenty in a universe's riches is. Yeah. Dune. Yeah. I mean, basically everybody's copied Dune for the last, you know, 50 years uh, or 60 years. And yeah, what a shame. Yeah. yeah and now you're imitating the imitators. Right. What is, Yeah. That is a, it's, 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 it's not just a tragedy. It's, it's, it's a fucking crime. Yeah. Now I think your point, which you've, you've hinted at and really driven home in, in previous episodes as well. And I know you've done so online uh, and gotten in some little, little scuffles uh, <laughs> with some people in the Twitterverse on the matter. But the fact that Brian Herbert ultimately rubber is the guy that has to stamp, you know, he has to put the approval on anything that goes out with that in mind. Do you think that, you know, Again, like like I kind of started this conversation off with, uh, Villeneuve can seem to get some level of intellectualism past the bean counters, past the approvals. You know, do you have do you have hope for this film, or do you think that Brian Herbert's required stamp mm. is going to ultimately uh, uh, make it a shit show? Well, we know that Brian Herbert was a consultant on the film. Yeah. Uh, two. And and really, this says everything to me. The the amount of time that they spent coming up with the contracts for the sale of the movie rights took so long mm-hmm. indicates to me that there was a laundry list of stipulations. Yeah. 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 And, and you know, the more stipulations, the less creative you really get to be, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. I feel that this is going to suffer from the same thing we were just talking about with the Star Wars books. Right, right. I mean, because it's important to bring it up. I mean, even people who are just as critical of a lot of modern Hollywood as we are, 
they're putting some hopes on this film saying, yeah. no, you know yeah. what? This film might, might actually be like the great thing that Hollywood's been trying to do for 20 years now. And I uh, get it. I get it. Villeneuve has the talent. I'm not yes. knocking the guy. I yep, am not knocking the guy. But the thing is, is, is that he's a fan. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that is a bad thing, but I'm willing, I'm willing to bet that because he's so passionate about doing, he was willing to make compromises to have his involvement in it. I would laugh my ass off if we finally get to sit down in January and when the direct, when it says directed by, it says Alan Smithy. (laughs) 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 I would love that so much. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because there's got to be a time frame where he falls out of contract or parts of the contract. If the movie doesn't get released within a certain amount of time. Um, But well, anyway, I don't know that that's all. Simple tricks and nonsense. We don't need to go down that stuff, but that would be so funny. Uh, or, or when it comes out on home video, whatever that looks like, uh, that it says Alan Smithy, that'd be great too. But anyway, um, yeah, I, I'm still cautiously optimistic. I'm still feeling like, yeah, this could be, this could be great. Even not just very good, but could be great. Uh, I do like Villeneuve's work. I do think he has a lot of talent. Um, but and, you know, after, after listening to you, Rob, now I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And, and your point that people have to get is how much, if there's anything shitty coming out with Dune, the first person you point at, the first person you look at is Brian Herbert. Um, because he has the ultimate yay or nay on anything when it comes to Dune. Uh, and so, well, we're, yeah. we're going to know who he's, to blame, I think, he's, ultimately. He's Emperor Commodus sitting over the franchise with his thumb hovering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, ultimately, I feel like, you know, Warner Brothers can certainly strong arm. I mean, they're not, you know, they're not wearing an eye patch and carrying around a tin cup anywhere. You know, they're, they're no slouches themselves. Uh, so I feel like they could strong arm Brian Herbert a little bit if they needed to. See, I don't know. I, I, I think that um, I, I have a feeling like, like Brian Herbert speaks their language. Ah, so. Okay. Like maybe Warner Brothers was the ideal studio for him because they understand, you know, the the, the economics of creative control. Mm, okay, yeah, that that's 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 very yeah that's interesting. It, yeah, I I don't know you know because there was a Warner Brothers like thirty years ago that was very laissez-faire and would allow some amazing shit to get made that no other studio would have touched. Um, and it's clearly not that Warner brothers anymore. And I don't want to pretend that it is. Go ahead. I I will say, I do think Brian Herbert is probably getting more away with more than any intellectual property holder since George Lucas. Yep. In fact, I, I think Brian Herbert approached all of the studios and basically said, I want the George Lucas deal. Yeah. And Warner Brothers the what is the one that said yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Warner Brothers has been trying to they've been wanting a great science fiction franchise for a long time. Um you know, I, and 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 I think that that's very clear and they've they've had opportunities and they've fucked them up as well. Uh so I 
yeah, I don't know. None of none of what I'm I'm exploring here. I'm trying to look at some kind of bright side, but then I'm like, nah, <laughs> no, <laughs> probably not. Uh, <sighs> and hey, well, if you have a different opinion of me, that's fine. I, I oh, you know, no, I, like, I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. I, I I trust me. I like Brian said, we're huge Dune fans. You know, I I want this. I want to be proven wrong. I really mm-hmm. do. You know, but um, just with with you know. T- 20 years of putting up with this guy. I know his MO. Yeah. We might get some really cool merch out of this. Anyway, might get some good merchandise, you know, yeah. board games, all that kinds of yeah. fun stuff. Yeah. Maybe we'll, I can finally get a Dune RPG that doesn't cost, you know, a thousand dollars on eBay. Oh, fucking a. Yeah. Boy, that was great though. Get the PDF folks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Chronicles of the Imperium. Was that the one? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I remember reading through that, and I was like, "Wow, this is awesome! Yeah. Why isn't this getting released?" Oh, yeah, and like <laughs> even like ten years ago, I was looking at that and and seeing it on eBay, and back then it was about three hundred dollars, and I was going, "Oh, that's a little bit more than I want to pay. I'll just wait until I can find a better deal." And you know, now here we are, and it's going for like a thousand dollars on eBay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, God damn it. <laughs> Well, anyway, um, yeah, I mean, the trailer as a trailer wasn't bad as far as how it executes a lot of the visuals that we ended up with is, I think, very much the question here. Uh, I I know Villeneuve can tell a good story. So uh, this is another one where we're just going to we're going to have to wait and see, you know, what what ends up happening with it. And and Um, I will reiterate again, I do think this has the possibility, no matter whether it's, you know, really good or not. It has the possibility of being the most faithful adaptation of the novel. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Still suits look pretty good. Mm, I wish they didn't look so off the shelf. Oh, right, right. We talked about that. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah, like yeah. Motocross. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Dune motocross edition. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, nothing it, beats. I'm sorry. Just like, and I, I have to say it again. And in every respect to the aesthetics of this movie, the 84 Dune movie did it better. Yes. In every way. Yes. Yes. I, I, I completely agree with that statement. Um, well, again, this is something where we'll, we're just going to have to uh, have to wait and see on um, all right. Well, we want to want to wrap this one up and get into some picks. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So let's talk about some good stuff. God damn it. Uh, <laughs> uh, Rob, if you want to start this one off. Um, yeah, sure. You've got a game listed. Uh, tell me all about it. Yeah. And it's, it's, well, I mean, it's, it's kind of a game. It's not really, it's kind of more in the tradition of a mod, even though it's not really a mod either. It's, I think it's mm-hmm. being. Uh, a, a game created in the Unreal Engine, but anyway, there's basically this this one guy. Um, his name is Etienne, and I forget his last name. It's really hard to pronounce too. But yep. he's been working on this Star Wars game called Star Wars Redemption. And about a month ago, um, it, the the YouTubers, uh, the Star Wars YouTubers, caught wind of it, and and. It kind of it kind of blew up on the internet, and rightly so because this game looks really just phenomenal. It takes place during the uh, the Clone Wars, and features a, a new uh, female Jedi character as the protagonist, mm-hmm. and it's kind of uh, it's kind of like a platformer, almost in my impression. I mean, I'm kind of almost like a God of War style game, 
Oh, so like a third party or a third person adventure. Yeah, sort of third like, person action adventure. Yeah, yeah, yep. and it's and it and and it's done in the the Clone Wars animated series art style, and it looks just phenomenal. And you know what this guy is is able to play that this is like a master class animator. He is really good at what he does, and so uh, I did leave um, a link in the show notes to a video that does a pretty good job of kind of showcasing this and the pay attention to this video's show notes because it'll direct you to the creator's YouTube and where you can support him. And I highly encourage you to do that because at one point he, the, the creator was planning on putting the project down and moving on. And then, like I said, he got noticed last month and he was kind of reinvigorated by the fan community. So this guy needs a cheering squad to keep him going. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I checked out the video, Rob, uh, that you that you shared. Um, you actually shared it in the Telegram group, I think, initially. Um, and yeah, I was blown away. Uh, I, I, I watched it. I was like, wow, yeah, keep going, you know. Um, there's a part of me, I don't think this guy's doing this, and I, and I want to bring this up because on a recent episode of Sovereign Tech, I had said that I worry a lot of people start making these fan games, as it were, and I hate to even call it that because this is so well done, um, that I think a lot of times they are doing it hoping to build an audience out of the franchise that they're making a game for, but they know they're going to get shut down sooner or later, and then they pivot to an original IP you know, as in a, uh, a new IP. Um, and then they hope that they get to keep some of that overflow of that fan base interested right. in the game that they're making. And it feels like marketing. And I think there are, there are very clever people doing this sort of thing. I don't think that's the case here. I want to make that clear that I don't think that that's the case here. Um, and I hope, I mean, one of the areas that I feel like well, George Lucas, certainly. And I think Disney has kind of been on, on the right side of this for a while where they are very forgiving to, as long as the fans aren't exactly making money, they are very, uh, open to, you know, fan productions. Yeah. Well, I mean, there was the, um, the old Republic, the Knights of the old Republic remake that they shut well, that down. Got shut down, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. So maybe not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, anyway, I, I hope this goes the distance, um, you know, as a, a bit of a game developer myself. Uh, in fact, actually, I, the day that we're recording this, I am celebrating six years since I started developing my first game. Uh, which had come out and I've, I've had another one since then even. Uh, so I, I appreciate what this takes you know, when you're just doing it very much for passion and you know you're not going to have a big marketing machine behind you and you just want to make like, you know, a, a game that uh, that that puts out there what you want out there in the gaming world. And that's clearly what's going on with the Star Wars Redemption game. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm impressed. I, I hope, you know, yes, absolutely. Go support him. I, I hope that this goes the distance uh, and, and, and gets a, a finished release of sorts uh, because it's that good. You know, and certainly EA, maybe Squadrons is going to be good, but EA's track record is not the best. I mean, granted, Fallen Order was pretty good. Uh, but, yeah, I, I really do hope this this goes the rest of the way. Anything else on this, Rob? No. What did, Was there any music? Is he is he doing anything music-wise? Um, I do think that he has somebody with him that's working on music, but I don't think he's doing the music himself. 
that you know see that's a a very underrated part of a lot of star wars fan productions um a lot of times they'll bring in like you know just some independent uh composer yeah and some of the music for soundtracks for fan productions with star wars has been tremendous in fact far better than the solo soundtrack uh, not that that's, <laughs> well, that's hard. a low bar, <laughs> yeah, right. not that that's difficult to do, but, uh, but there've been some real wins in some of the, shall we say, extracurricular, uh, soundtracks in star Wars. Um, I, well, anyway, I, I hope that that shines as much as anything else. Of course, if you just use, you know, what John Williams has already created out there, that's not going to hurt you either. But in any case, yeah, very exciting looking game. Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued to, uh, to see where this goes. So, um, all right. Well, I guess I'll get into my pick for this episode. Um, this is the thing. Did, I, I think we got into this argument uh, <laughs> in TIE Fighter Renegades in our in our history here, Rob. Uh, this is the thing that I, I think, at the very least, it's better than A New Hope. <laughs> I don't know if I want to say it's better than Star uh. Wars overall. Uh, I love this movie to death. Um, I've talked about it many times already. But something that I had pre-ordered a long time ago finally got released. And it is the, the now it's also available in 4K, but I don't give a shit about 4K. But they released the same package for Blu-ray. Um, and it comes with the DVD if you're still in DVD and good for you if you are. And I mean that. Um, but the, the two-disc limited edition uh, or limited collector's edition of 1980s uh, Flash Gordon. With, uh, of course, um, the dearly departed uh, Max von Sydow in it, uh, who, boy, you know, was was The Force Awakens his last work? Yeah, I think so. Man. Sad, isn't it? That's a shame. Yeah. Well, he's he's yeah. got a, he has a great filmography beyond that. So, <laughs> in any case, um, yeah, of course, he played Ming the Merciless in this. Uh, I mean, I, I just love this movie. And... The Arrow, uh, Arrow films or Arrow video, depends on what they're doing, uh, they're the ones that put it out. They're like Shout Factory, where they're doing these great restorations of these kind of cult classic films, and they'll put them out there. In fact, Arrow did a great, uh, a great re-release of RoboCop last year. They did a great re-release of Big Trouble in Little China. Uh, they did an awesome release of Giver, not MacGyver, Giver, uh, which also starred Mark Hamill, by the way. Um, but anyway, they, they did this, I haven't seen them really do this yet, which is probably why they were big on the pre-orders. Uh, but it's a gorgeous set two disc, uh, has a ton of special features, comes with a great poster, uh, a full on book full of essays about the film and reading the essays for this movie was very vindicating because it, they basically all said the same thing that I've been saying on varying shows, varying podcasts for years that, you know, I guess people just don't get it. What some of these movies are trying to do. People don't get like what Buck Rogers was trying to do uh, in the 1980s, what flash Gordon was trying to do. Like they just could not appreciate a really sexy, good time. And these writers of these essays are all, you know, professional critics for whatever that's worth. And they're all saying the same thing. Like we don't get it. Why didn't people go nuts over this movie? It has, you know, it has everything you could want out of a film. Um, and so it's very vindicating to read this. This is pro one of the best Blu-ray releases I've ever seen. Uh, the I've listened to the uh, the audio commentary by the director. Uh, that was a lot of fun. 
Of course, you never get those on, online, or at least you rarely get them. Um, but I mean, it is just jam-packed with features. If, if I'll put the link in the show notes to it. Take a look at the amount of features available uh, on this. I mean, there, there are multiple audio commentaries. There's even like episodes of the Flash Gordon cartoon. Um, there, there's all these making specials. I mean, it, it is just it has to be two discs to fit all this stuff on there. It, it's really phenomenal. And the book that it comes with is really worth it alone. Um, but just a really underappreciated film, in my opinion. Most people know the soundtrack. They love the Queen soundtrack. But I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, and it is great. You know, and it's one of the greatest soundtracks of all time. But but I, I think this film is always if someone hasn't watched it in a long while, it's always worth a revisit. And I'm telling you, you can't go wrong with this set from uh, from Arrow Video. Um, thought, thoughts on Flash Gordon, Rob? You know, there's a lot of, you know, links between Flash Gordon and Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, like, actually, if it wasn't for Flash Gordon, we wouldn't have Star Wars because that was the movie that George Lucas had originally wanted to make. But right. he couldn't get the rights yeah, well, Dino De Laurentiis owned the rights. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. Who also made the 84 Dune, by the way, uh, or produced right, it. Right, right. <laughs> so, 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 like, indirectly, you can kind of think, you know, Dino De Laurentiis for some of the greatest science fiction movies of the, the 70s and 80s. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Either because he made them or, uh, uh, you know, he was holding the rights and, and forced somebody to make something else, you know. Right, That right. ended up being great. Uh, yeah, in fact, you know, that's a funny thing. So when the during the director's commentary, he tells a story of why he ended up being chosen as the director. And it's because the other director that Dino De Laurentiis was originally going to get for Flash Gordon wasn't taking, you know, the, the director was basically saying that he's like, yeah, he says, how can you take this this movie and this script that seriously? He said, but you have to understand that Dino De Laurentiis wasn't fucking around with this movie. He really like. He said he was talking to another director and he said to the director, he says, you need to keep one thing in mind. This is Dino De Laurentiis talking and imagine him with a very heavy Italian accent. He says, you need to understand something. Flash Gordon saves the fucking world. And and he was you know serious as a heart attack about that. Like that you're not going to make fun of this movie. You're not going to make fun of this script. Flash Gordon's going to save the world, goddammit. And <laughs> it was just, it was so cute to hear that story, you know, of just how much like, I mean, Dino De Laurentiis, the, the De Laurentiis family is such a powerhouse in film yeah. in general. Uh, but for him to be just like a child, you know, about it, like you don't understand, this is my hero. You're going to treat him with respect. Uh, I, I just thought that was very touching. And, right. and I felt understood because I get where people think the movie is a joke. I get that the director went with a absurdist style to some degree. Uh, but at the same time, you know, when, when, when Flash Gordon is like tossing that watermelon thing and playing football against Clytus's men and Queen's soundtrack is going and Dale Arden is like cheerleading him. I grin ear to ear every time. And I, I get hell. I have goosebumps going right now. Just thinking about that scene. I, I just think that's so much, so much fun and such like great, simple action. It, that, yeah. That sells. Is, Go ahead. It is a very fun movie. In fact, another thing that makes me grin every time I watch the movie is just about every scene that blind breasted is in. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, the director said that too. He, he was talking about Brian Blessed as Voltan, of course, and he is he's perfect in this. And he says he's like he's I had to get in Brian Blessed. He's like I worked with him on this other film. He says I just had to have that energy because if something bad happens to the main character, which does happen within the film, you know, early on, he's like you don't want to lose the tone, you don't want to lose the energy of the film. So you got to bring somebody that brings in so much energy, nothing can take the film down. And you just hit it, Rob, because that's Brian Blessed. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the amazing beard, everything about him, you know, is just pure fucking energy. And it, it the film never slows down largely because of him. I think you're totally right. Uh, yeah. what, what else you got? Well, I just I, I I really appreciate the story that you told about Dino De Laurentiis, because here again, we're, we're, we're kind of coming back to a theme about how, you know, all of the heroes are dead. You yeah. know, why can't we have that kind of studio interference in a movie? Of course, it's not even really interference at the, this point. You know, mm-hmm. with a movie like this is like, you know, this this is the way that you as a studio exec can actually make a movie great and support it is right. by having a vision and, you know, making sure that that is understood all the way from the director to the actors. Yeah, yeah. And you really need somebody with like with with Dino stroke to be able to pull that off. And I wonder if like those guys just don't exist anymore because. Yeah. That's 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 my point. This is like yeah. he, he was he was he was one part, you know, like studio exec and one part artist. Yes. And there's there's no savants like that left in Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think you're totally right. And and because, I mean, again, he was behind all that lavish style, which is totally on display in Flash Gordon uh, is also on display in Dune. Right. Like yeah. you, like you were yeah. talking about in Lynch's Dune. Um, I mean, that that's probably I mean, as much as it's Lynch, I'm sure it's Dino saying, oh, yeah, there must be gold everywhere. You know, I mean, like I, I could just kind of picture him, you know, going nuts about it and and and, and getting it, you know. Um, yeah, we don't have the guys that like that grew up with these characters and who are just so fucking passionate about it that, no, you can't screw up the story or I'll fire you. And and that's what Dino was, you know, Uh <sighs> What what a shame! <laughs> yeah, it's, all, yeah. it's all downhill now. God yeah. damn it! <laughs> and the cool thing was is that the movie left a legacy too, because I very much feel that like Masters of the Universe took yep. a lot of pages from Flash Gordon. Another film that you know I think the director took to, to went somewhat absurdist with, but the a lot of the people involved just said, "Well, we're gonna we're gonna have." as much fun as we can with well, this. Yeah. But that's ahead. the thing though, is like it had an absurdist element. Sure. And in its styling and its mm-hmm. panache, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it took it way more seriously than the source material. Yeah. And, and as, like the actors themselves, like Frank Langella, like he, he talks about all the time. He's uh, how much he loved playing Skeletor. And he just, he didn't, he, I think he even said he, he basically didn't even listen to the director. He just went, he just went, you know, full Shakespeare on it. it. Yeah, yeah, he just took it and ran. And oh man, yeah, it's so awesome when these guys aren't just doing shit for a paycheck and they want to have a good time on set. You know, that that that's a lost art. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> uh, well, maybe it's more so that just the actors aren't able to express their art that way anymore. I, I am mean, sure. You know, I mean, I just you you look at the, just like we were talking about John Boyega. You know, that's somebody who I I think can can deliver. He's a good actor, but mm-hmm. he's being held back. Yeah. 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 And he'll tell you as much. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> yeah. That that's, that's, that's a great point too. Um, there's just, 
Well, again, that gets down to where these, you know, studios are just holding the purse string so tight and, you know, like, like they're just strangling everybody on, on set, you know, like Bob Iger and whoever else I'm sure, um, or Brian Herbert in other cases, uh, damn it. Anyway, we, I thought we were ending on a happy note, but, (laughs) (laughs) but you can go watch flash Gordon and I guarantee you, if anything, you'll be laughing at the end, either at just how much fun it was, or, you know, maybe it didn't, it was just ridiculous to you, but you'll still laugh. What do you got? That, that is the point is, is that we still have several decades of just truly great art that's still out there. And a lot of people still have an experience to this day. Right. Which is why we do the picks most of the time is to, to, to introduce people to something new that or something old that might be new to them that you didn't know. Uh, and, 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 you know, I, like, I try to make it a point folks. I don't put, I, I try not to put Amazon links or at least not ones that give me credit in, in the, in the show notes. I don't need to make a buck off of this folks. Like I am just, I just want other people out there to experience what I've experienced, the joy that I've experienced. I just want to spread the love. God damn it. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> And I know Rob's the same way. Like we, we oh, just yeah. want great stuff out there and, and for people to enjoy themselves with it. So anyway, um, yeah, Flash Gordon and Star Wars Redemption, two things that you can both that, that, or that you can check out right now. It's not something you have to wait for. There is not a pre-order bonus of any kind, nothing of the sort. This is just stuff to love and enjoy. So Rob, I think, I think, I think we've got it. I, th- I think that's uh, that's an episode in the can. It's a wrap. Yeah. Um, I think I'll save the the temperature check. I want to do another episode uh, th- this month. Uh, we'll we'll see where we can get with that. Um, but uh, feeling good? Are, are you feeling good about Mandalorian season two though? Are you excited? I mean, yeah, sort of excited. Like I like I said, I'm still kind of experiencing some Star Wars fatigue. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure I'll I'll get over it when when the season finally airs. But for right now, yeah, I'm I'm not feeling too great about Star Wars. I just Star Wars and I need a break. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you know relationships they just gotta you gotta you gotta take that time out and you gotta, yeah yeah <laughs> absence makes the heart grow fonder i don't know <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean I, i'm i'm feeling fairly excited about it I, i'm just gonna say this quick like i've been uh ellen and i have been re-watching babylon 5 and you know when you watch something that fucking great it just depresses you about everything else, you know? <laughs> so, so I, I'm not like in a, in a hurry for, for Mandalorian season two to come out as to where with season one, I was definitely like, yeah, all right, come on, let's drop it. Let's make it happen. Let's do this now. I'm not feeling that, but overall we'll see. Yeah. So that's yeah. the other message of this episode. We'll see. <laughs> anyway, Rob is always best time, man. Uh, we'll wrap this one up and we will see all of you. Woo. On the other side.